Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we call you Father. And this is a designation that you have determined. You you told us through your son Jesus that, that we are to address you as our Father in heaven. And we we know it is a privilege to know you as Dad. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for calling us to this faith. And now, Spirit, we ask that you would show us through the truth of the word that you inspired how it is we can endure in this faith and, and how it is we can serve one another best how we are better together in doing uh, this this act of faithfulness, how it blesses you and brings glory to you, and, and it blesses us and it blesses those that we love. So enable us now to understand how, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and, and be seated. Um, if you are not a believer, we are so excited that you're here today, but I, I want to go ahead and let you know, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is particular to believers. Uh, today I'm going to talk about how we endure in our faith. Endurance is a, a way in which we serve. Um, the fact of the matter is, if you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ today, but you do not endure in the faith, and you do not show that you are pursuing Christ, and you fall away, you're, you're going to cause me to have doubts. You're going to cause me to maybe think that I should not endure either. And so one of the ways that we're better together, and that's what we're talking about this year, we're talking about how we are better together. And, and one of the ways we, we are better together is how we serve. We serve better together. And, and enduring is one of the ways that we serve each other. Now, in this series, typically when a, when a pastor is preaching a series of sermons on serving, there's usually a sign-up sheet in the lobby, and I'm supposed to guilt you into to working with middle schoolers and preschoolers. I get that, all right? Let me just say this, uh, just to go ahead and get that out of the way. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called by God and meant by God with this new life you've been given to be active in a family of faith, the local church. So if you are a child of God and you are not actively serving each week in a local church, then you have siblings that are doing your chores, all right? And you're putting a burden on them that they weren't meant to carry. Everyone in this family has a job to do. If you haven't found yours yet, find it. Go to new members class, start again. You've missed something somewhere along the way. You're supposed to be serving Jesus in this church some way, somewhere. And if you don't know how, go find out how. That's one of the ways you do it. Now, in this series, we're dealing with some deeper issues. We're getting beyond serving in preschool and middle school and in other aspects of the church. We're talking about the things that, that really impact the soul of the person. And again, if you're not a believer, let me encourage you to listen to, to what it is I'm saying uh, about believers. What it is we what we believe, and also what our challenges are, and, and how you can be aware. My prayer is that you're going to sense by the Spirit your need to believe. I, I know that happened to me, and I'm thankful for it. I pray it will happen to you. Those of you who do believe, take today as, as a challenge, as a warning, also as a comfort. Just remember, people far more intelligent and gifted those of us sitting in this room have been deceived and have fallen away from the faith. Our capacity to endure is given to us by grace, but we are responsible to pursue Christ all the days of our life. And if you will endure, it will encourage me to endure. And if I will endure, it will encourage you. I would, I would wager I was a wager, but I'm not. If I were to wager, I would 
you that almost all of us know someone who's fallen away from the faith. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you know someone who was once a faithful follower of Jesus Christ that no longer darkens the door of the church and is no longer pursuing Christ with passion and vigor? Most of us. I've known of deacons who were once deacons in this church who are not in church today who, who have divorced their wives and are pursuing a godless lifestyle. I know ministers and pastors, those who've led in worship, who are in leadership, who are today walking in sin apart from God. Friends, remaining faithful and enduring to the end requires great effort. And it requires us to understand why and what we're doing. And that's what we're going to discover in our text today. If you've got your Bible, I hope that you do. Go with me to a, a text that is either preached too much or too little in any given church. Matthew 24. There's some who spend their entire lives doing nothing more than talking about the return of Christ and those who don't talk about it quite enough. I hope we have a balance today. And we're going to look at this together. Uh, Pastor White's going to read for us today. Hey, uh, you guys get to see this, but the sweet girl today, she was saved a year ago at church camp, but she was baptized today by her grandfather. Let's celebrate with her what God did in her life. So exciting, sweet girl. She's so beautiful. Let's stand together in honor of God's Word. She's going to read for us uh, verses 9 through 14, and God will, and I'll explain it. Uh, but let's follow along. If you would, Allison, read that out loud for us. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and make you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And in the end of that. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Alice. And if you would, go ahead and be seated. Be sure and get a, a, a pen or a pencil ready and, and get the back of your bullets in there and take note if you're using your smartphone or tablet, please. Uh, we're going to note that we're going to take a lot of notes today. And I want to give you a lot of scriptures. Now, in all the other services, I have failed to offer all the scriptures. I have committed to our media team that I'm going to use all the scriptures that they typed out so nicely to make available to you. And so uh, hold me accountable to that if you don't mind. Understand, as as culture becomes more intolerant of Christians and the social benefits of being a Christian begins to, to more and more decline, there will be more and more who once claimed Christ who will fall away. Uh, they will not see the social benefits. They will not receive the applause. They will not see uh, the, the economic advantage that, that used to be there. And so they will quit. And they will say, you know what? It's just not worth it. We need to understand that there's going to be more and more pressure put on Christians to denounce the faith, to deny the faith, or at least to pretend as though it's not real. But we have seen something happen in the last couple of weeks of public discourse that should lead us to our knees. Just a couple of weeks ago, I referenced this last week. Some of you uh, got upset with me because you said I was pursuing politics. I'm not. I'm just telling you the facts. The fact of the matter is, in a hearing uh, in the U.S. Senate, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, who could have been our president, uh, spoke of a, a man uh, by the name of Russell Vaught, 
who, uh, defending his alma mater, a Christian institution, spoke about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation for all who believe. What he, in essence, said is that, that Jesus Christ claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could come to the Father except through him. Uh, at that time, Sanders began to attack him with questions and began to name call and call him Islamophobic and other things. And then he said this, Mr. Sanders said this, I would say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee is really not someone who this country is supposed to be about. What he in essence said is, no one who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ authentically should be in public service. That's exactly what he meant, and that's exactly what he means. Forget the apologies. That's what he means. Now, the same thing happened last week in Great Britain. We know that Britain has fallen into farther uh, levels of, of, of paganism and secularism than we have, but we often follow suit with, with Europe. And so uh, there was a, a born-again believer, believe it or not, a, a liberal democratic leader, Tim Barron, who claims Christ as Savior, who stepped down from leadership in politics. And here's why. Here's his own words. This is what he said. I seem to be the subject of suspicion because of what I believe and who my faith is in. His faith is in Jesus Christ. And he was told by those in his own political party and pressure to step away. In essence, saying, if you're going to claim Christ and you are not going to surrender to the secular uh, renaissance and this new way of thinking about the world, then get out. And he did. Please understand, if you are an authentic, Bible-believing Christian, you are or will be under attack. You need to be ready for that, and you must endure. History shows that the winds of change are always active. We who are followers of Christ have enjoyed some freedoms and some appreciation in the past, but this no longer seems to be the trajectory of the West. We need to understand that our children are being taught that they should not believe in God, and they certainly should not speak of Jesus Christ. This year, we've had children in public school systems sent home because they had t-shirts with Bible verses and, and sayings about Jesus on them. Now, anything having to do with the Quran or Islam or any other pagan religion, man-made religion, there's not been the attack. The attack has been specifically on Christians. Our children are being told by entertainment that they should not believe in God, that they should believe in themselves, and that they should pursue a lifestyle that is secular. Our young adults and our young people are being told that they must get in line with the sexual revolution. Anyone who stands against the LBGT community should be considered a threat and should be threatened and should be told to be quiet and then pressed out of the way. You show me any young person in a secular college or in a high school who stands up and says, I believe that there are two sexes, a man biologically and a woman biologically, and they will be told to hush. Anyone who would dare stand up and say, I believe that sex is intended only between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage, they will be ridiculed. Our young adults and our young people are being told, join, join the sexual revolution or pay the consequences. Be ridiculed, be marginalized, be 
made fun of by professors, by teachers, by administrators, by leaders, by legal experts. You'll be a Christ. Within our married generation now, this generation X between the by the, the, the busters and the builders, there's there's now a pressure and really an enticement to give up what doing what is best and instead do what gives you pleasure. Many of you have been hearing this for years, and I want you to understand what is happening. Right now, we are seeing a rapid decline in uh, people between the ages of 40 and 50, a rapid decline in, in church involvement, and we are seeing a rapid increase in divorce in that same age group. There are those who no longer want to sit under the teaching of God's Word because they want to do whatever gives them pleasure. And what the world has said is, don't worry about how this impacts your family. Don't worry about how this impacts the other families. Don't worry about whether your children respect you. Don't worry whether or not this is going to cause them harm long term. Do what feels good to you in the moment and don't worry about the consequences. And many are doing that. They are walking away from the faith and in so doing are destroying families and culture. And meanwhile, the church is being told to be quiet. We have been given a First Amendment right that has been bought with the blood of men and women who have fought for these freedoms. And in that First Amendment, it says clearly, we have a freedom of religion, not a freedom of worship. What the new paradigm is calling for is not freedom of religion, the freedom to stand up, stand out, and say what you believe about Jesus Christ in any public opportunity. What we are being told now is, no, 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 not freedom of religion, not freedom to speak, not freedom to say what you believe, freedom of worship. Go in private, say what you believe, and then keep it there. As followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have that option. We are called by God to make a public stand for our faith. And in so doing, we need to understand that we will be persecuted. And there are many, some of you sitting here right now, going to fall away. Some of you right now who claim Christ as your Savior and faithfulness to Him. Some of you within the next six months, some of you within the next six years, you will be away from God, away from the church, pursuing your own little cake kingdom and your own pleasure. Friends, we've got to do everything possible to keep that from happening to us and to one another. We must serve one another. We serve better together by enduring together. Let me tell you what I found in my academic pursuits, in my master's degree, my doctorate degree. I found that I was able to endure by, by going and, and gathering with other students where we held each other accountable, where we talked about how are you maintaining your, 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 your work in ministry, your academic studies, and care for your family. And we would encourage one another to endure, and many of us did. I know that... that it doesn't look like I work out, but I do. I do. And you know why I work out every day? It's because every day at 5.30, there's somebody in the world who is supposed to be needing me to make sure that I work out. Friends. Friends that I work out with. Friends that ask me, hey, did you work out today? And if I don't, they lovingly tell me what a wimp I am. With the love of Jesus, they persecute me, and I thank them for it because I need persecution because I love in the hymns. If I don't rub them off, I will not be wearing these, these, these bands anymore. And I like these bands. These things fit the 36s, believe it or not. And 
That happens because the workout used to be 34th, but that's another issue. Pursuing academics, pursuing um, um, physical exercise, my spiritual life. Friends, listen to me. There's not a day that doesn't go by when I don't talk to another man about my spiritual life. I have a group of men that I daily talk about my spiritual life, and I hear about theirs. We know what we're praying for. We know what one another is studying. We know what challenges we each face, and we are there for each other. We endure better together. We serve one another better together by enduring together. Now, how do we do that? Five things I want you to see in the text today. We endure better together as we, first of all, count the cost. And there will be a cost for fidelity and faithfulness to God. Make no mistake about it. Look at verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Because we need to be prepared to be attacked, and we need to be prepared to respond graciously, humbly, lovingly, truthfully, sharing the hope we have. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter wrote to the church that had been dispersed and was about to be persecuted. He said this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter said, you've got to be able to explain why you believe what you believe. You have to be able to take a stand and do it lovingly. Even as they are telling lies about you, even as they are hating you, even as they are accosting you, lovingly, graciously responding with hope. How did Jesus handle those who attacked him on the day he gave his life? We must respond the same way. With grace, confidence, with hope. And this hope needs to be explained. Now understand what it's going to cost you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you being appreciated by the culture. The culture is not going to appreciate you holding up Jesus Christ as the model and means by which we have a full and healthy life. Do not expect people to applaud you for your true moral north, that, that ethical standard of Christ himself, because the world does not want to hear that. The world wants to hear they can have whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want, and, and everyone else needs to be quiet about it. We pursue Christ and honor Him. We should expect those to come against us. Understand it may cost us financially. I pray regularly for many of our salespeople that are out there making a living. And I can't tell you how many of the stories I've been told of people who said they lost clients because they won't go to the clubs, because they won't laugh at the dirty jokes, because they won't purchase the drugs. And what they have decided is their integrity is more important than the sale. You know what? It's going to cost them financially, but I'm going to tell you something. It gains them spiritually. It affirms their hope and gives them reasons to share. Understand that, that there will be financial disadvantages if you're going to remain faithful to God. Understand it will also cost you personal friendships. It didn't mean. It does me now. If you're going to pursue Christ as Lord, you're not going to get invited to the parties. And when you do show up and they accidentally invite you, it's going to be so awkward. I went to a party. I think they accidentally invited me, and I went because I felt like I needed to. Uh, my wife said, why don't you just stop by? And I was like, okay, I'll stop by and say, hey, I've got to drop one of the kids off, and I'll just swing by. And I swung by, and I came in, and immediately, I don't know why, I just, I just saw it. And they saw that I saw it. We saw it, and there was liquor on the counter. But, you know, it was liquor, right? And so I'm talking to a guy, walking over, and it was hilarious because he's talking to me, and he's looking at me, and then his eyes just keep going back to the liquor. 
Pastor, liquor, pastor, liquor. Does not compute. Does not compute. So finally someone saved him and got me and took me to another room to show me something. And I came back and it was a miracle of Jesus. It was all gone. And it was just so awkward. And I was just like, oh, this is why I don't come to this stuff. Because everyone is uncomfortable with me being there. And part of me hates it, but part of me is glad. That's what happened to me in high school. When I came to save the faith in Christ, I, I was not wanted at the parties anymore. I used to be the life of the party. But God gave me something better to look for. And, and I, I wasn't invited. I wasn't asked. It wasn't a party. You know what? I lost friendships over Be prepared. It'll cost you friendships. It'll cost you financially. It, it'll cost you socially and, and culturally. That it, There will not be an appreciation there. And if you're going to really do this, you got to know why you're doing it. Because it's going to be hard. So you got to count the cost. And one of the ways you count that cost is you know why. Luke 9, 23 and following tells us why. Luke chapter 9, he said to all, Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Here's why we do it, because we don't want to lose or forfeit our soul. Here's why we stay faithful to Jesus, because he loved us enough to give his life for us. Our salvation depends on Jesus Christ giving his life and dying so that we can live. And in order for us to live, we have to die. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, we have to die to come alive to Christ. And why do we do this? For the eternal reward and the blessing of the Almighty within our soul forever you got to know your why. Why should you endure? Because of what Christ has done for you. But listen, before those bills start coming in, and they will count the cost. Again, Luke chapter 14, look what Jesus said in 28 through 30. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it. Uh, began to, to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Do not let this be said of your faith. She started it, but she didn't finish it. She made a public profession through baptism, but she didn't stay faithful to God. He didn't stay faithful to God. God must not be real. God is a joke, just like them. Do not let that be said of you. Know it's going to cost you. Be ready to pay the price. Christ paid the price for you. Pay the price for him and live. Understand the cost. Secondly, help the weak. Listen, if we're going to endure better together, we'll do that as we count the cost and as we help the weak. Verse 10 in Matthew 24. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Understand that some of the most vicious hate towards Christians is coming from former Christians today. About five years ago, there was a movement of books that came out by people that were using titles like, Why I Love Jesus But Hate the Church. Please understand, these are not, these are not effective and helpful tools. The church is the bride of Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You can say what you want about me. You talk about my wife, you may get whooped by a preacher. You've been whooped by a preacher? It ain't pretty. How much more the bride of Christ how much more should we fear offending Christ by criticizing his bride? There's not a perfect church in the world. But we've been perfected by Christ, and as we pursue him, 
We're going to make mistakes. But always remember, there's two sides of every story. I've never seen anyone mad at the church who wasn't in some measure to blame. Now, I recognize that some have been attacked, and there have been some who have been bullied, and there are some who have, have been viciously harmed. And those who have caused that should be arrested, they should be held accountable, and, and they should still be loved, but they need to be removed from society and, and put in places where possible they can get better. But understand, the church is God's people. We are the bride of Christ. And, and this is where we are together seeking to know and love Him more and more. We are all sinners. We are in the flesh. We are not going to do this perfectly, but we can still love. And we need to be very cautious and careful about those who attack the bride, those who, who attack uh, any, and, and we need to be ready to help even them. Uh, situational leadership that we need to apply, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Anyone who is attacking the church is showing their weakness. Anyone who is not being faithful to, to attendance and participation in church is showing their weakness. Even those who, who are in leadership, please understand, all are weak. All will be tempted. We all need help. We must help one another. And one of the best ways we do that is just by taking care to look for it, to look out for each other. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We, we've got to call each other out. We've got to communicate. We've got to be able to care for each other. The best way to do that is in a group. You need a group of people. We call them small groups. You need a group of people that hold you accountable and care for you. And listen, if you're in a group... And, and all you do is have a study and maybe have a meal and maybe have a prayer, but you're not asking the hard spiritual questions. You're missing the point. See, the hard spiritual questions that you need to be asking each other really aren't hard questions at all. It's questions like this. How's your soul today? How are you experiencing the presence of Jesus in your life and in your marriage and in your family and at your workplace or school? What challenges are you facing to remain faithful to God? How are you being tempted how are you overcoming your temptation? How is God answering your prayers? How are your prayers not being answered? How can I join you in praying? Are those the kinds of conversations that you're having regularly? Those should be normal. Those should be some of the first things we ask one another and talk about with one another. We need to be connected in groups. We need to be talking about real things in real life. And we need, and please hear this, expect to be needed. Can I tell you how many I've seen fall away from the faith because they needed people, but they were too scared to ask for help. They were afraid that if they did, that, they, that someone would look aghast and would say, you, I can't believe you need help. Expect me to need you. Expect people to need you. Those who love Jesus. Friends, we got to count the cost. we got to help the weak. we got to know the truth. we got to know the truth. Look what it says in verse 11 and 12. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Many people fall away because they do not know the truth of God's Word. Let's be honest. There are many of you in this room that can tell me more about your favorite TV show or your favorite movie than you can the storyline of the Bible. 
know more of the chapters of, 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 of secular literature, some of you do, than chapters of the Bible. You know more about the makers of movies and the actresses and actors than you do the writers of Scripture. Why? It's a point of focus. Because we've got to know the truth. And let me, let me share with you how you can know that you're knowing it. You've heard me say this before. It's true, though. If you know Jesus, you're going to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you're going to obey Jesus. If you're not obeying Jesus, it's not because you don't have enough willpower, it's because you don't have enough love power. And the reason why you don't have a deep-seated love for Christ is because you don't know how awesome He is. See, obedience comes from love, and love comes from truth. If you don't know the truth of who Jesus is, you won't love Jesus for who He is, and you won't obey Him. Are you living in obedience to Jesus? Your problem is not willpower, it's love power. And you don't have love power because you don't know truth. If you knew how awesome and great Jesus was, you would fall to your knees and worship Him. And you've got to be careful, then, of who you're entrusting your information from. You need to make sure that those that you're listening to are not wolves. We're aware of the culture, what's going on outside, but what's going on inside the church? Uh, the Apostle Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, said this to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There are people who have an issue, and they will make that issue, whether it's theological or practical, methodological, that issue that divides other people in the church. And what they're in essence saying is, hey, the pastor, the overseers, the leaders of the church, we can't trust them because they're not focusing on this doctrinal idea that I have, that I know. Or they're not following in on this methodological practice that I know, that now you know, that we know. And, and we need to we need to kind of have our own thing going on here. We need to be careful of what, that, what those leaders are doing and saying, that's divisive. And you need to listen for that. You know, the best way our church can be faithful to God is if every member is contending for the faith. Look what it says in Jude chapter 3. Jude verse 3, rather. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. Contend for the faith in this church. Contend for it. Do not let any wolf come in here and divide this church. Don't let people become disruptive. Listen, there's nothing wrong with questions. Questions are great. Questions bring clarity. Your overseers, your leaders, your small group leader, your Bible study leader, your pastor, we love questions because questions given from a humble heart bring clarity. Do you know what is not welcome? It's pride that seeks to divide. And when you see it, you've got to call it what it is. You've got to contend for the faith. Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's called shepherding. Paul, Paul was writing to Timothy, and he was saying, be a good shepherd. Make sure that your sheep are eating what is good and what is true, 
and be mindful of the wolves. And when you see a wolf, go after it. I love the fact that I get to spend and our leaders and pastors get to spend 99% of our time focusing on giving truth and feeding the flock. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you are a wolf, we are going to come after you because you are dangerous. And you have a reason to be charged and isolated and hopefully converted. Be mindful of the wolves that are within this body. They are sitting amongst you right now. I don't believe that they all mean to do harm, but they all do. Got to be careful, church. We must be careful. We must know what is true and hold to what is true and hold to the unity of the Spirit given to us by Jesus in His Word. And if we do that, we'll live in hope. Write it down. That's the fourth thing live in hope. Verse 13 says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that is our hope. That is our motivation. We will be saved. We will reach heaven. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eat, wait, await eagerly for adoption of the Son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, for in this hope we, are sa- we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for what one, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm getting jumbled up because I want to tell you. This world's not our home. You and I are already adopted children, but it's not been finalized. See, in the Roman world, a person could adopt a child and, and that would be theirs, but there would come a point when publicly there would be an exchange. They would be given new clothes and it would be then that their adoption would be finalized. We are already at the adopted children of God. But let me tell you, one day Jesus is going to come, and this flesh and all this fallenness and all these dirty rags are going to be replaced with the robes of righteousness given to us in Christ. And then all will know, and it will be finalized, and we will be full. That is our hope. Heaven is coming. This world is not our home. Last thing is this speak God's grace. Speak God's grace. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you want to see Jesus come back? You want to see it happen sooner than later? Then we got to get the gospel to the rest of the world. By the way, we were told to do that 2,000 years ago. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. What did Jesus tell us to do? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things as I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He reiterated that again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Very plainly, he said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You know what the best defense is? The best defense is a strong offense. If you are contending for the faith and you are sharing the hope of the gospel, your faith will be protected. Let me tell you my story. I was saved at the age of 15. I was the last of my group of, of, of friends who were in a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain and doing a lot of stupid stuff. Many of them had gotten saved in the fall of 87. Some in the spring of 88. I was saved in the summer of 88. I immediately 
became a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they began to train me to share my faith. While I was doing that, a group of my friends fell into a cult. The cult was called the Worldwide Church of God. It was led by Herbert Armstrong. None of my friends have remained in the faith. They remained in that cult for a very short period of time, and they lost their faith. Friends, there's not a person in this room that will not be tempted, but when the enemy will not come against you to call you to give up on God and walk away from the faith. Stay the course. Keep your faith. Do it for God's sake, for your sake, for our sake. In church, we got to look after each other. We're better together. And we serve by enduring together. Some of you sitting here right now, within six months, some of you, some of you within six years, will not be darkening the door of any church anywhere. And you will not be known by your friends as a faithful Christian. Unless you decide today that you are going to remain faithful no matter what. And I want to charge you today to do that. I want to invite you to come and ask God to give you the strength to endure. And I also want to ask you to pray for someone you know. Some of you know, and you can sense there are people that are beginning to wander. Some of you know some that have wandered away. Pray for them. Pray for them. Let's stand together. Lord God, we come to you. We thank you that you call us to yourself. You invite us to the altar. You invite us to come to our Lord, our, our shepherd, and to seek your help, seek your blessing. Lord, I know today some need to come and commit themselves to a, a faith that is, that is enduring. Some need today to come and pray for the faithfulness of others who are struggling. Some maybe who have even walked away. Lord, your miracles never cease, and so long as they are alive, there's opportunity that they can be reclaimed. So would you today, Lord God, hear the prayers of your people, and for the glory of your great name, bring your blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.